Ephesians chapter 2, we will be finishing out that chapter, taking our time going through Ephesians. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, says this, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Lord, I think of the psalm that says where you're speaking to us and you say, open your mouth wide and I will pour myself into you. And Lord, that's what we want this morning, Lord. And Lord, for, we're coming from many different places of life. Some are on the crest of the wave, the top of the wave. Some are in the, uh, in the trough. Some have a wave crashing over them, Lord. But we thank you that for wherever we are, we can open our hearts, our mouths, our minds wide. We need your grace to do that, Lord. Your word says, you know our frame, you know our weak, you know our distract, you know how easily distracted we are, how easily set off. You know every life in here. You know the man, the woman who was in an argument before they came on their way to service. You know the, the man, the woman who received fantastic news over the weekend where they're at. You know and understand where every single one of us is coming from, Lord. And I, I pray that you'd speak to everyone where they're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So the first two chapters of Ephesians are a crash course in who you are in the eyes of God. There could hardly be a more important subject than knowing who you are, who you are in the eyes of God. We're just obsessed, preoccupied with figuring out who we are in the eyes of man, which is all a big waste of time because that just changes from week to week to month to month. And yet we exhaust ourselves trying to figure out who we are in the eyes of man. But that doesn't matter. It's, it's who we are in the eyes of God, the Bible says. And the Bible's very specific 
about who we are in the um, eyes of God. And the first uh, two chapters of Ephesians are a crash course in that. But what we have learned over the last two months, or three months, is that who you are in the eyes of God 100% depends on what you have done with His Son, Jesus Christ. What you have done with His with God's Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son into the uh, world too, to live for you, to die for you, and to raise from, rise from the dead for you. He lived for you. He lived for us, rose from the dead for you, for us. He was taken up into heaven. The Bible says ever since, He knocks on the door of every human heart and offers to come in, take over and perform open heart surgery to prepare us for heaven. Which he does in just a moment of time. That's how long the surgery takes. There's no eight-hour surgeries when Jesus does it. The Holy Spirit does it. Just a moment of time. His success rate is 100%. But who you are in the eyes of God depends on what you have done with His Son, Jesus Christ, when He knocked on the door of your heart. Did you say, yes, I need open heart surgery. Come in, take over, and prepare me for heaven. The Bible says that if you have done that in your life, if you have done that, you came in and in a moment of time, you were, in God's eyes, utterly unrecognizable to who you were before that time, before the surgery. You know, it may take some time, sometimes a short time, sometimes a long time, for the world around you, your husband, your wife, your neighbors, your co-workers, to start noticing a recognizable difference in you. Not so with God. As soon as you say to Jesus, okay, the door's open, come in. In a moment of time, the eyes of Jesus and the eyes of God, you are utterly, totally unrecognizable in terms of who you are. So earlier in the chapter, um, of, earlier in the study of Ephesians chapter 1, we put up a comparison chart for you. Uh, it um, looked something like this. Can we put this up here? Okay. Um, Actually, can you put up, do you have part one and part two? Do you have the two separate ones? So we have an expanded version of what went out uh, about two months ago. Now and then. So now means after surgery, after major surgery, after that one time you open up your heart to Jesus and he came in. Don't have to do it more than once. People say, yeah, I've asked Jesus into my life 26 times. Oh, really? It didn't, didn't work the first time? Uh, his success rate is 100%. So from that time on till now uh, is the left side of the chart. And then the right side of the, uh, right side of the chart is then, uh, which is what you were unrecognizable to what you are now, but what you were prior to those doors of your heart uh, opening up. And 
You know, I said this at the beginning of our study in Ephesians, and I, me- I meant it then and I mean it now. If, if every day, if every day for six months, every day you meditated on these verses, on the verses that back up this chart and on this chart, if every single day you chewed on it, it would change your life. It would revolutionize what you thought of God, yourself, and the world around you. It would fill your life with stability and strength. So this chart here, uh, really completely taken from Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. It's been modified a little from what we gave out a few months ago, but uh, so now it says you are in him. So there's this crazy new age idea that everyone sort of has God in them. Not true. The Bible says, on the, then it says uh, in Ephesians 2.12, you were without Christ and without God. Now you're spiritually alive, Ephesians 2.5. Then you were spiritually dead. You were a walking dead person. Ephesians 2 uh, verse 1. Now your salvation is sealed. Meaning it's complete. Meaning no one can bust in and take away your salvation. You can't even take away your salvation. It's sealed. Then, Ephesians 2.12, you had no hope. Now, when God, what does God see when He sees you? He sees you as holy and blameless. You may be thinking of all the muck on you because of that argument that you got in on the way to church this morning. You may be thinking about this or that that you did last week, last year, or 20 years ago. Not God. He sees you as holy and blameless. Why? Because Jesus came in. And did major surgery. And by the way, at the same time, after he did the major surgery, he stayed there. <laughs> he is inside of you. The last chapter of uh, 2 Corinthians says, Do you not realize that Jesus Christ uh, lives within you? Now, it says, you are adopted as sons and daughters. Before then, before opening up your heart to Jesus. You were sons and daughters of wrath, meaning you were subjects of, of, of God's wrath. He looked at you as a son of judgment, meaning someone who would be, he would have to, he would have no choice but to, to judge someday because of your sin. But now you're adopted as a son and a daughter. Can you imagine that? Just chew on that. So as you, as you, I just challenge you to be chewing on this, meditating on this in the next six months. I mean, how many of you look around this morning? Or maybe you better not. But, but would you want every? There's certain people in here that you would you want them walking around with your name, like with your name every day? I don't know. I look around at some of you folks. Uh, do I want you walking around with my name? Well, the Bible says that God, you walk around with His name. In fact, you are called in the Bible the people of the name. You are adopted as a a son and a daughter. So now it says you're the praise of His glory. Meaning, right now, when all of heaven looks at you, they give praise to God because of what He has done in your life 
by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But then you were a son or a daughter of disobedience. So um, let's just go on to the, to the next one. And this is where we began this morning. Now you're accepted in the beloved. Verse 19, let's read, uh, read it together, phrases it a little different. There's actually on our chart here, there's two references. The beloved refers to, in, in chapter 1, verse 6, it refers to God's people everywhere, the beloved. People who have passed from death to life by faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 19, it uses a different phrase, which we're more familiar with. It, it, it refers to, you now, you're a citizen, you're a saint, not a, a saint in the way that we grow up thinking, one of those uh, people on a, uh, a stained glass window in a church. A saint is simply any person, any man or woman, who has put their faith in Christ. And then it says you're also a member of the household of God. That's who you are now, the Bible says. Then it says you were a stranger and a foreigner. So let's read verse 19 together again. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So let's just chew on that one for a while. You know, I know this illustration is really gross, but I use it from time to time. You know what cows do after they chew up grass? What do they do? What do they do before they chew it again? They spit it out. And then they take it up again, lick it right back up. They start chewing it again. And over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, it, it, the illustration is, is important enough that I'm willing to put you through the gross word picture because when you do that, when you chew on the Word of God, and then you, know, you go out and you're like, oh, I'm tired of this, you spit it out. No, you, you take it right back up, you continue chewing on it, it will really, really change who you are. Meditating on God's Word. Well, let's chew on this word stranger a little bit. It says you were, in verse 19, you're no longer a stranger. You were a stranger. You were a stranger. Now, now, now brace yourself. This is a heavy one. You know, we rush right through the Bible sometimes and, and we slow down. We need to slow down and, and, and chew. You were a stranger. What is a stranger? A stranger is someone who you don't know and you never met. But really, it's more than that. A stranger is its someone not only that you have never met and you don't know, it's someone you don't even know of. For example, President Obama. He's not a, he's not a stranger to anyone in here. You may not have met him. You may not know him. But you know a lot about him. He's not a stranger. A stranger is someone we've never met, we don't know, and we don't know of we're not familiar with. The Bible says that prior to Jesus coming into your life, you were a stranger. And let me give you a, 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 a real, a, let me put up a, a verse here, which is just, it, it gives you, it gave me a jolt. It was just a shock to me 
when I first read it as a Christian. It's in Matthew 7.22. And this is, this is Jesus speaking. We have all kinds of ideas of who Jesus is. A lot of them are emotionally driven and they're sentimental. And we leave out the parts of Jesus that don't fit our ideas of really what we want in a Jesus. But we worship the Jesus, not a Jesus. And this is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop there. Meaning, meaning that not everyone who goes around saying Jesus is Lord, not everyone talking to Jesus and saying, Lord, I want this. Lord, will you do that? Lord, not everyone shall enter the kingdom of of heaven. It was a shock to me when uh, when I first read that. I had to memorize this as a brand new Christian because I was part of a uh, an evangelism training course. And they had us memorize this. It's a very good verse to memorize if you, you want to learn how to share your faith with someone else. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, in that day, meaning judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. In other words... They were what? Strangers. In that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. They liked going to church. They liked talking about God. But they had never said to the Lord, come in and take over and do your major surgery. A lot of them said, come in. A lot of people make professions of faith. They say prayers to God. They say, come in, Lord. Come into my life. But they don't say, come in and take over. And if you don't say, come and take over, Jesus is not your Lord. You are still a stranger. Some of you in the, here this, this morning... <laughs> You may still be strangers because you said come in, but you never said come in and take over. It's a chilling picture. And the picture that I've always gotten from Matthew 7, 22 and 23, can we put it back up, the, the second part, uh, Sean, is the picture of a home. When I first read this, I, I just, I don't know if any of you have this picture here, but it's, it's Jesus as he's, He's in a home, and he's, this time he's answering the door. So while they were live, he was knocking on their door, but now you have someone knocking on his door. And there, there is this picture throughout the Bible of, of God having a home. In fact, we read it right here in verse 19. It says here, Now therefore you are no longer stranger and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the what? household of God. And then go down to verse 22. It says, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place. That, that word means home. The root word is home. And so it's a chilling picture. It's the picture of Jesus in a home answering the door. The Bible 
has this picture, and, and, and can you imagine coming to God's home, knocking on the door, and he answers, I, I never knew you. So it is true that, that in our class, our evangelism class, which we have, which are starting back up in April, it's a, a six-week class that we have. We're going to have four of them uh, this year. would love for you to come out. But the very first thing in this presentation that we have folks memorize is you have to explain to people why they need to be saved. Because if they don't understand why they need to be saved, they'll check, they could very well check out of the conversation. Why do you need to be saved? And one of the things that that's important to tell them is that you're a stranger if you've never asked Jesus to come in and take over. You are a stranger to God. And, and by the way, don't use your own words. You've got to open up the Bible because if they just hear stuff coming out of your mouth, your opinion, they're not going <laughs> to agree with you. But when you show them, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, look, it says, People, prior to being in Christ, are strangers. That gets people a-thinking. But who are you in the eyes of God once you have opened the door and let Jesus take over? You are a member, verse 19, of the household of God. God has a home. It says you are a citizen. And again, I, like, I happen to like chapter 1, verse 6. You are accepted in the beloved. Meaning no matter what you may, th- other people in this room may think of you, because let me tell you, not, people in this room aren't perfect. And they may have skewed wrong views of you. No matter what they may think of you and whether they accept you or not, this or any other church, because every church is unfortunately has people under construction who have a hard time accepting other folks around them. Whatever anyone else may think of you, God sees you as accepted in the beloved, accepted in the household of God. So if we continue on this chart, can we get the, the, the first chart back up. It says you are near. No, I'm sorry. The, the, the second one there. Yeah. You are near God. And we've already covered this prior then, prior to Christ. You are far away from God. Again, so important that we understand the Word of God and what it says. A lot of people out there talking about feeling a nearness to God, but they don't know Jesus Christ. They're saying such things apart from any, any relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says, no, they're far away, but in Christ they are near God. And then we've um, also discussed this one in a previous sermon. Actually, it was last week. You're at, where were you then? You were at war with God, yourself and others, but now in Christ you are at peace with Him, yourself and others. And so next, which is verse 20, it says, who are you now? You have Jesus Christ as your cornerstone. You are a man, you are a woman. Who does God see when He sees you? You're someone who has Jesus Christ as your cornerstone. 
Who were you? Verse 2. You had no bearings. And I'll explain a little bit more about what that means, but in verse 2 of this same chapter, it says, you used to walk according to the course of the world. And the course of the world, there's no bearings there. Again, I'll explain a little bit about what that means. But you walk according to the course of the world. You go like this, and then it's like this, and then it's like this, because the, the course of the world's always changing. So verse 20, let's read it together. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, to whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So you are this living stone. You're the stone in this dwelling place of God. And one of the enormous privileges of this is that you have Jesus Christ as your cornerstone. Meaning, you have bearings in life. Now, what do I mean by that? Have you ever been someplace where you have lost your bearings? Um, I don't know. You, you are in a deep, deep sleep, a deep slumber, and you come up out of your sleep, it's pitch dark, and you don't know where you are. Maybe you're in a foreign country that you're not, you, you haven't been to before. I travel around a bit. This kind of thing sometimes happens. You get up and, and you, you have no bearings. You, you, you don't know where you are. You, you're, the stuff that you usually hold on to is not there. You have no bearings. You have no cornerstone. You're in the woods somewhere. You know, this has happened to me many times because I've been out. I like... I happen to like being out in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Uh, and, and, and so uh, I, I have, on more than one occasion, many occasions, been out in the middle of the woods, and all of a sudden I'm like, where am I? And I'm seeking for a landmark. And, and, and oftentimes I will say, oh, I think I recognize that, and I'll go off on a trail, and I, and I realize, oh, no, that's not it. And, and then I start getting more and more nervous, uh, particularly if it's, it, it's, it's cold out and it's getting dark, which has happened to me in the middle of the woods before. And then I'll start going somewhere else. And, and then finally, I'll recognize something and I'll get my bearings and I'll go in the right direction. The scarce of all, and I've also been here, is in the ocean. <laughs> when you're in the ocean and there's a fog, you can't see land, you have no bearings. You have no bearings. And so um, uh, the problem with, uh, it says in, in, in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 2 that before Christ you walked according to the course of the world. That means you, you had no bearings. You, you, you didn't have um, really anything that you could always rely upon to realign your life to, to point your life in the direction of. Look at these uh, two verses. Here's one, Jeremiah chapter 10. Great verse. O oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in a man who walks to direct his own steps. Meaning we can't find our way on our own. We can't find our own bearings. Another one, and I put this up recently, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. 
But now, who are we? Now, if we have given our life to Christ, when Christ has come in and saved us, we have bearings. Or in the language of the Bible, we have a cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? It's actually a familiar word with, in the Bible, which you, being a student of the Bible, or I hope you are, if you're not, I hope you will become one. The word cornerstone is a familiar word in the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, we see it coming up on a number of occasions in the Old Testament. Do we have Psalm 118? In the, in the uh, Old Testament, it says this. It says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's what it says. It says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's Psalm 118, verse 22. Now, Jesus uh, here we go, right up here, Psalm 118. Now, Jesus quotes this very same verse, and, and he applies the word cornerstone to himself. Let's have Matthew chapter 21. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? He was telling them, I'm the chief cornerstone. Now, what is a chief cornerstone? A cornerstone is a a, a stone, a very large one, that was used in Israel to be the bearing for a builder who was building a house, or actually in the case of the temple, for the builders of the temple. Everything in the temple, or everything in a house built in Israel, was measured off of the cornerstone, was measured off of it. So when you were putting a wall in, you would always be have, I guess, a plumb line or some way of measuring it off against that chief cornerstone, against that cornerstone. And so who are you now? You are a person who has a cornerstone in your life. A cornerstone. That means you have someone or something that you can measure off everything else in your life. Everything that you do. Every kind of behavior that you see. You have a cornerstone and it's Jesus. Okay, I'm seeing this kind of behavior and so am I supposed to be embracing this behavior or not? Well, I will look to my chief cornerstone. Jesus in the Bible. And I'll pray to Jesus, but also read the Word of God. What is Jesus saying I should do? Or what was his life like in this situation? Now, here's the danger that Christians have their cornerstone are other Christians. And so, this, and so I just plead with you don't look at someone else in this church. Don't even look at me and say, and measure your, your life off against me. Because I may be doing some goofy thing that you have no business doing. I, I, you know, and, and, and Christians run into this trouble all the time. I mean, look, you know, you can't say, oh, look, there's Pastor Jed. He's chewing on tobacco and spitting it out. 
guess I can do it too. And they, you know, they, 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 uh, they run to the 7-Eleven and get some red band and put a little pinch of in between their cheek and gum. No, no, you go and figure out with Jesus whether or not that's okay. And, and by the way, I'm not making a statement that chewing tobacco is always wrong. You need to go and look at the chief cornerstone and figure that out. I run into this problem all the time. You know, I look at what another pastor is doing at another church, and I'm like, well, Lord, they're doing it. And I'm constantly getting slip-slapped in the face. Yes, it's true. That's what happens to me by the Lord. He says, what are you doing? What are you doing looking at another man? I've told you this so many times. What are you doing looking at another woman, a leader in another church? No, look at Jesus. In political season, whatever you do, just because some guy says he's a born-again Christian and he gets up in a podium somewhere, don't just assume that what he is a proponent of, don't just assume that, oh, wow, he's a Christian, that must be okay, I'm jumping on the bandwagon. Anytime something a, a, politi- a, a particular political belief gets really popular, you need to go right to the Bible. If some person says, you know, we need to build a big gigantic wall over the entire southern border of the United States. If someone says that, just because the person's a born-again Christian, don't just say, oh, I assume uh, that must uh, be true. Go to what uh, Jesus, go to what Jesus is and what he said. You know, ironically, <laughs> in the book of Malachi, it says that when Jesus returns, this is talking about when Jesus returns at a future point, it says in Malachi 3, 5, he's going to come against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an immigrant. Woo! I better be very careful about this big wall thing. I'm not, you know, and, and look, I'm not here to, uh, to, to, to say, to make a final judgment about whether that kind of thing is right or wrong, but just because someone calls themselves a Christian, do not assume that what they're saying is right. I do think it's kind of sad, by the way that this country started, and I'm sorry, I just can't help myself, that this country started with impoverished, starving Christians coming into our borders in the early 1600s. And now we have really rich Christians getting in, getting in a podium saying, we need to big a big wall to keep people out. I, 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 I don't know, I can't help myself. I, I need to say that. And, and I say that based upon my interpretation of what the cornerstone is saying. Uh, you know, is that the message? that the church is supposed to be going out with? A message of the most oppressed people on earth? That that, this is what we're telling them? I don't know. But whether you agree with me or not, here's what I plead with you. Jesus Christ is your cornerstone. When God, He is your identity. When you see Him, when you're in Him, you can measure off everything against that Him, that life, that person. Before, however, then you were just walking according to the course of the world. And just like political beliefs, that changes every six months. There's some different course that you go off on. But let's continue in verse 21 of Ephesians. 
It says this in in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the temple of the Lord. In whom being built on, rather in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Let's just continue in verse 22 because it's important to understand that verse in order to understand verse 21. It says, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So what these verses are saying is that in Christ, you are a living stone. In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. You're a living stone. So the now, the then. Can we get the chart up again, Sean? Uh, the, the, the now, the, the then. It says, you are building God's home. The very last one here. You had no purpose prior to that. Um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You are a rock being placed into God's home. The home of Almighty God. You know, prior to being in Christ, man, the, the, what is the purpose of life? What am I supposed to do? You know, everyone's telling me I need to get, you know, go to college, then to graduate school and make a lot of money. But, but they're, or, or they're telling me I, I, I need to do this form of entertainment. Or they're telling me I need to go after this sport or this athlete. But, but what really is the purpose? In Christ, you have this incredible purpose, a calling, and it's to be a living stone. Then, prior to Christ, you were just, you were dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. That's with the chart that we began with. You were actually, you were dead. You were like a rock in a rock quarry. And we have rock quarries in Quincy where they just go and they just cut out rock out of the mountainside. And the Bible says that you go from being just sitting in a rock quarry, dead lifeless, being used for no purpose whatever in your life. You're just there. But God came around and he chiseled you out. Now, that's a sermon of itself sometimes, how painful it is to be chiseled out of a rock quarry by God. It's, it is a painful thing uh, coming into uh, the body of Christ sometimes. But, but after he does it, who are you? You are a, a living stone and you are being fitted together, verse 1, into this dwelling place of God. You're being fitted together. And, and you know, it, it's just such a blessing to me over the years, seeing how God brings the perfect living stones to our church, Calvary Chapel in the city, just over the years, and just fits everyone together at the perfect time. We need someone with a particular gift. They, they, and a stone, a living stone comes in with that gift and they are fitted perfectly into the wall. And then we, a few months later, we need someone else with a particular gift and another living stone just 
seemingly out of nowhere. God draws them on. He's taken them out of the rock quarry. And, and this is all being built up, it says in verse 21, into the holy temple of the Lord. Uh, verse 22, into the God's own dwelling place. Everything is being fit together. And, and you talk about purpose in life. One of the ways that we teach people to introduce a conversation about God and Jesus Christ is what do you think the purpose of your life is? People really struggle with that. But I am telling you, once you are brought into the household of God, and it says in verse uh, 22 that it's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Does that just inject like uber mega steroids inject purpose into your life? You know, sometimes I'm in counseling after church with someone, and, and, and I, it, it's someone who's just allowing something, some career, some hobby, some pleasure to just completely sideline them, to completely put them on the shelf um, where they have just, there's no fruitfulness in their life. None. Zero. They're like a green tree that's never reached into maturity. Something, some career, some hobby. And, and, and I tell them sometimes, really to the point of, of, of tears, just my own testimony of being in this, verse 21, this holy temple. Verse 22, this, this temple of the Lord, this dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And just how much fruit I've been able to see over the years. And I tell them, look, God could take me away now. I, I, I'm in my middle age. At least I hope I'm in my middle age. There's all kinds of definitions of that. But anyway, uh, but, but, but God could take me now, uh, away now, and it will all have been worth it. I have seen so many lives. My wife and Steffi and I have seen so many lives completely transformed and grow up and to the place where they're bearing fruit, and then they're reproducing. We have seen so much of that simply by being a member of the household of God, by being an active participant, participant rather, verse 22, of being a part of this dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And I plead with people, quit wasting you're like, quit allowing that thing to sideline you. So I'm just going to close with this. You know, Paul writes this letter from prison. <laughs> He's got chains on him. He literally has chains on him at this time. Interesting that he writes this letter. And, and you don't see him in this letter, you know, crying out, you know, I have this kind of argument that I'm going to make before the Roman court and I'm being unjustly imprisoned. He was, by the way. In fact, they had no charges against I have no charges against me. You don't see anything like that. You just see a guy who is bursting forth with praise. 
which can only mean one thing. These things which he is listing, um, he's bursting forth with praise, saying to them, look, I'm a, you're accepted in the beloved. You're, you're near God. You're at peace with God. Jesus Christ is your cornerstone. It, 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 you were, uh, you're alive. You were dead and now you're alive. You're, you're in Him. You're sealed. You're, you're holy and blameless. He's just bursting forth with praise. Again, He's from prison. It can only mean one thing. What the message is, is that whatever else the world may do to me, you can't take away any of these things. And that's what this is all about. Is, is, is he's telling us who we are in the eyes of God so that we'll just be just all filled up with that. And, and so we will be filled up with the one thing that the world can never take away. And so I'm going to ask the worship team uh, to come up now if you've been asked to pray uh, please come up um, as well and let's just finish the service now with worship. If you have something that you would like to, to pray about, uh, please come up. If there is something that is holding you back from fruitfulness, something that's holding you back from just as a, uh, being a participant in the household of God, just, just seeing the fruit of in the lives of those around you, just come up, we'll pray about it. If there's anything else, uh, please come up and we can pray about it. But why don't you stand? I'm going to close in prayer and then we will worship and we will pray. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. These two chapters, they're a mouthful, Lord. And just as you say in your psalm, Lord, open up wide your mouth and I will pour in. And so we've received, Lord. But Lord, now that we have to go off, go out in life, and we need to apply, we need to live it. And for that, Lord, we need your grace. We need your grace, Lord. Father, uh, we praise you. We were once dead, we're alive. We were once with no hope. Now our salvation is sealed. We once conducted ourselves according to the lust of our flesh. Now you say we're, we're holy and blameless. We were once the ch children of wrath and now we're adopted as sons and daughters. We praise you. Lord, I, I know you didn't take us out of the, you didn't chisel us out of the rock quarry to have us go out from here and just continue to, to live fruitless lives, Lord. You, you, you chiseled us out of that quarry, Lord, to continue doing a work in our lives, to form us, to fashion us, Lord. Sometimes that hurts the sandpaper on it, on a, a living stone. It, it hurts, Lord. God, we, but we want fruitfulness and, and blessing, Lord. Most of all, we want to understand. Lord, I pray that everyone would understand who they are in your eyes and where they have come from, that unrecognizable place. Lord, if there's anyone in here, who, if they knocked on your door today and you opened 
And they said, Lord, Lord. You said, I, I never knew you. Lord, I pray for them, Lord. That they would understand that the gift, the gift of eternal life, it's free. It's free. It, it costs nothing. Why? Because it costs you so much. We thank you for the cross. Lord, complete your work of salvation in them. And, and Lord, for the rest of us, that we would give, have the grace to continue working our salvation out. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.